Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Artifice Hallowed Wide Song Diary number eight for Bleed in Color. I'm a little bit late because July just like swallowed me entirely whole. I got a sinus infection. No COVID, though. I still haven't had it. I got my um, second booster shot. So hopefully, knock on wood, I'll remain COVID three free throughout wedding season. Um, hi. So I've been thinking a lot at, um, in the process of getting ready to record this episode. You know, we're getting toward the end of the Hallowed Wide, and I'm doing a lot of prep for the live show and just, you know, doing a lot of philosophizing on my own and kind of, you know, preparing for a bit of a regroup as like the release of this album is complete. And, you know, I... I always find that it's difficult to kind of describe to listeners and viewers like what it is that I'm trying to do. I I imagine most artists feel this way. Um, but, you know, the more that I think about like the hallowed wide and what I want my listeners to understand is that this record is, you know, it's fun and kind of dreamy and it's playful, but ultimately it, it really is like it's a hypothesis about, you know, something about humanity and kind of what it means to connect and why we should do it. And I take that really seriously. You know, it's, I've said it before. It's like, it's, I know it's a music album. Um, but this is something that in my life, um, you know, it feels much bigger. And I'm thinking about, um, these hallowed wide concepts, you know, when I do my podcast interviews and, you know, all throughout the week and kind of all the interactions that I have and, um, you know, I don't know, it means a lot to me. And, and I, I like to imagine that, that these are kind of, it's my version of like a, a book, you know, <laughs> with some, some ideas about what, what we can maybe do as people to kind of be closer, be more empathic, be more understanding, be more willing to shift our perspectives. So the way that I've been doing these uh, song diary episodes is doing a little kind of where we are um, in the intro, then playing the song and then talking about the song. So I'll follow that pattern. Um, the Hallowed Wide is 12 songs divided into four four parts. Um, and we're in part three. So first descend, then divide, make it hallowed, make it wide. Uh, if you're just tuning in now, the, the descent is, um, you know, the way that I'm kind of thinking about this is if you want to be closer to another person or to, um, people, the first thing you have to do is commit to digging in. Um, so that's the descent into the hallowed wide and, um, the songs that are in that portion have there, there are three songs and they each examine, you know, a different aspect of that kind of, um, commitment or surrender to this new, um, endeavor of trying to reach across this space to another person or, or people, um, <coughs> still getting over that sinus infection I was telling you about. Um, 
Then we have the divide. So first descend, then divide. And my kind of hypothesis here is that once we've committed, once we've really committed to, um, to digging in and diving deep, the next thing we have to do is kind of painfully remove assumptions, painfully remove kind of judgments, expectations, um, our own, you know, selfishness, um, our, our, uh, our biases, um, our old habits. So depending on, you know, the particulars of the type of relationship you're working toward, um, you know, those, uh, specifics might be different, but again, my kind of, my hypothesis is first we commit to digging in, then we root out the things that we can't continue with. Um, part three that we're in now is make it hallowed. And the kind of premise of this portion is that we have to kind of, you know, commit to seeing beauty in others. Um, we have to kind of, uh, suspend disbelief for long enough to imagine that even someone who feels, um, <coughs> like someone you might feel, um, antagonistic toward, or someone you might feel is antagonistic toward yourself. Um, you know, and I'll continue to say there are caveats here. I don't believe that everyone is safe. Um, but you know, as a general rule, if you're thinking about groups of people, if you're thinking about, you know, types of people, um, you know, I don't know that there are, um, groups of people that are like all bad, <laughs> you know, again, like there are probably some caveats don't come at me. Um, but generally I think, you know, there's, there's beauty in humanity, all over. There's beauty in every generation. There's beauty in every, um, you know, every type of belief, maybe. I don't, I don't know. Um, again, caveats. Um, every type of maybe really sincere <laughs> belief. I don't know. I'm going to get myself into trouble. But I think generally people, individuals, this is what I do think. I think generally individuals are usually good <laughs> and usually interesting and usually beautiful. Um, so I, this, this portion of the record that we're in right now is, um, is about that and, and learning to kind of think creatively about other people and making it sacred, like thinking about others as sacred beings. Um, that's the, that's the, uh, premise of this portion of the record. And we're in the second song of this little portion. I'll say right now, the last song in this little section is my favorite song on the record just easily. So I'm really excited to introduce that to you next, but this song is bleed in color. Um, <clears throat> I actually wrote this song second. Um, I'll tell you more about it. Um, but I guess what I should do now is play bleeding color for you. So here it comes. I knew before. 
bleeding color. So like I was just saying, <coughs> I'm sorry. I'm really, I really am still getting over this cold and I'm recording this in the morning. So listen, it just is what it is. I'm really sorry. Um, but I wrote bleeding colors second. Um, the, the song that I wrote first was, is track 11, which we'll get to. Um, I wanted to kind of write the arrival point, um, before kind of figuring out how we got there and then bleeding color felt like the next kind of point to establish. <laughs> Gosh, that's gross. I'm really sorry. Maybe I should have waited like another couple of hours. There's not time. I have other things going on today. Had to be now. Um, yeah. So I wrote bleeding color second. Um, it was, you know, a, a piece of this puzzle that I wanted to kind of make sure I laid out at the beginning so as I was planning this record and kind of figuring out what it was going to be and exactly how to do it, um, I knew that I wanted to, you know, have a nod to a couple of specific, um, topics. Um, I wanted to acknowledge race in this record. Um, 
and and I, I I did my best with that in Bitter Roots, which is track two. Um, and this song, I intended for it to be a bit of a love letter to the LGBTQ community um, because, you know, of course, it's a community that, that gets othered and that gets kind of left out and that I, I hope that, you know, generally people can learn to think a little more creative, creatively and, um, you know, broaden their perspective. So, you know, in this intro, when I'm talking about like groups, (laughs) I'm not talking about like organized institutions of racism. I'm talking about like peoples who are understood and othered. Um, anyway, now all this to say though, I am not gay. Um, and so, I wanted to try to weave in, you know, and humanize this song with some of my own experience. And when I was writing this, I had gone no contact with my dad about a month beforehand. And these kind of ideas were swirling around in my brain. So those are the kind of two things that I was starting with. I, I wanted to, you know, kind of, um, talk about like the, the, the colors of humans generally. And if there is a group that, um, you know, puts colors up front, it's the LGBTQ community. Um, so I've been trying to think about how to talk about this song and it, it's difficult for me because I wrote it so long ago. I wrote this in like May of 2020 (coughs) and it's hard for me to remember like exactly what my mindset was back then. What I can tell you is that I had just written track 11, like, you know, the previous week. And I, I have this kind of method when I'm writing a new album where I use like a, I use like a a table, um, you know, with like columns and rows, um, like a, like a, like a spreadsheet, but I do them in word. So I'm going to call it a table because Excel scares me. I do use it sometimes. Um, but so I, I have like, you know, the, in the rows, the rows are the songs and I move them around as I kind of, um, organize the album. And then in the columns, um, I put like the tempo, the key, the kind of mood of the song, the groove, um, you know, the meter, maybe if I'm, if I'm writing a record where the meters change, um, any particular instruments I might like to use. And it just helps me kind of see the variety. So all I knew at this point was, you know, what was going to be in that first song. And I knew I wanted, I had the title, I had the title in mind, Bleeding Color, And I knew that I wanted, um, this song to be like very bright and very major. And I knew that I wanted it to feel, um, sort of removed, um, from where kind of the other song sits. So, um, the other song starts in C major. I'm not going to tell you too much about it now because it's not out yet. Um, but I decided to start this song in A flat major. And that's kind of what I began with. And then I had, you know, a little bit of a tempo and a groove in mind. And I sat at my piano for a really long time trying to figure out this chord progression um, to figure out what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to kind of play with the harmonic rhythm too. It was kind of just one of the ideas I had going into this project. And so what I decided to do was play a flat major for three measures and then go into B flat major, which is outside of the key of A flat major. So, uh, but barely, so it feels, um, 
it feels a little like otherworldly maybe. I mean, depending on, you know, how much, how much like non-functional harmony you're used to listening to as an individual. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it feels a little, um, like heightened. It feels like it's kind of going somewhere else, but because the chords are the same quality, they're both major chords. Um, and they're kind of planing in that whole step. They also feel kind of connected. Um, so they feel, they feel, um, they feel parallel, um, but they're just not in the same key. So that is the chord progression for the verses and for the choruses. Um, just this three bars of of A flat major and then one measure of B flat major. And I liked how that felt. Um, and then at that point, I just started writing melodies and lyrics for the verses. So I think, I can't remember for sure, but I, I think I wrote like verse one and verse two before I wrote the pre-chorus or the chorus or, you know, the bridge or anything. I think I kind of wrote it like that. So I'll talk you through the verses. I really, I really like these verses. They feel, um, I don't know, really tender and really personal to me. So again, I, I kind of started off thinking about my dad. Um, and the, the first line is, I thought I didn't understand it. You told me I was too naive. I took this heart, my heart, for granted. I taught my eyes to stay asleep. Um, I guess I'll stop there and like reflect on that a little bit. You know, I was just, I was just thinking like, <coughs> so for those who are just tuning in, I should give a little context. Um, my mom was diagnosed with brain cancer in 2016. And it was right at the same time that I was starting to kind of realize that my childhood had been really abusive. I think I hadn't kind of been ready to like to deal with it. I just sort of hoped that as I got older, it would go away. And instead of going away, it was getting worse. I had I had lived um, outside of my parents' home. Um, I had lived out in a different state um, for 10 full years at this point, And I had been married for five years and, you know, moving away, growing older, getting married. Those were things that I thought were supposed to fix these problems. And they just, I, I wasn't better. I was having crippling back pain. I was having several panic attacks per week. I just, I, I felt like I was falling apart and I, you know, I, I had a master's degree. I was like being a productive member of society, um, you know, making a stable income. I was, you know, happily married and all of these things. And, um, and it just was like, it was crashing down on me. Um, and my mom had been, you know, from, from the, the perspective that I had the primary perpetrator of the emotional and mental abuse that I had gone through, um, to that point in my life. <clears throat> so I finally signed up to start therapy and I had gone to two appointments and then my mom was diagnosed with brain cancer and <clears throat> the type of cancer that she had was a glioblastoma which for anyone who's listening, who knows it's, it's effectively a terminal cancer. People don't go into remission. Um, there's no cure. Um, the vast majority of people who are diagnosed with glioblastoma, um, have very little time to live. Um, and so knowing that and knowing how desperate I was to, 
you know, figure things out and like solve this problem with my mom. It really sent me into kind of like overdrive, um, in those, in those two years, um, from her diagnosis to her death. Um, and you know, unfortunately what happened is it became really clear to me that she couldn't change. Um, you know, of course she's not diagnosed, but, but what, what I think is that she had, she was on the spectrum of narcissistic personality disorder. Um, and things were excruciating up until, you know, the very last conversation we had. And then after my mom, or as my mom, like maybe right before she was, she passed. <laughs> I think that was a good one. I think, I think that one was productive. I'm sorry, you guys. It's so gross, but Hey, here I am in a human body that gets sick. Um, you know, maybe six months before my mom passed away, I started talking with my dad about these things. Um, we were kind of sure at this point that she was not, you know, she wasn't going to make it. Um, and I started talking with my dad about my childhood and, um, just kind of being like, Hey, you know, how much did you know? And it became really clear to me that my dad knew a lot and was maybe a lot more involved in the abusive dynamics of our family than I had previously thought. Um, to my, you know, great devastation. So after my mom died, I told my dad, you know, basically this is a gift that we have in some ways, you know, that's a strong way to put it, but we have an opportunity to do better by each other. And if, um, you know, mom is not part of this picture, like maybe we can kind of heal our, our family, you know, those of us that are still alive and, um, you know, allow me to be safe in this family for the first time in my life. And I gave my dad two years to show me that he could be a trustworthy person. And, you know, again, to my just absolute devastation, he just really made it clear that he couldn't be. And I decided not to waste any more time, um, in that, uh, you know, environment that was devastating to my self-worth. And I decided to cut contact with my dad. So it was, it was really painful. I never wanted to have to do that. Um, it, it, it feels like the only choice that I could make, um, cause I can't change him. So, you know, estrangement from living family is taboo in our culture and it's difficult to understand. But um, for those that are listening, I think the thing I want you to know before I talk more about this song is that this is a grief for me. I mean, I had to grieve a parent who was still living, which is it's so sad. Um, so, you know, when I was going no contact with my dad and kind of just grieve, you know, in that in those very early stages of, of grief there, I was doing a lot of reflecting about my relationship with my dad and memories that I had of him specifically when I was younger. And all, almost all of the memories that I have of my dad as a child um, are kind of, you know, one of three things. Either my dad was kind of making fun of, I feel like is not strong enough for what it was, but, but, you know, for lack of a better word in this present moment, making fun of me for being like a tender hearted person, um, who, who was curious about other people and who had a, a predisposition to feel kindly toward other people. Um, 
And that first thing is what this verse is about. Uh, maybe I'll, if you were here, I would say, help me remember to tell you what the other two things are. <clears throat> but I remember being, you know, so I'm 34. So uh, I was born in 1988. And I remember, you know, at the beginning, you know, in the mid nineties, maybe when, um, the, the pride movement was more started to be a little bit more, um, it was something that more people were aware of and, um, and the Mormon church, which I, I grew up LDS, um, was starting to kind of talk more about it over the pulpit and in, um, global, um, like, uh, global sermons. <coughs> and I remember as a child being like very confused by this and being like, I don't understand like why this is a problem. And like, I don't understand why, um, you know, gay people can't get married. It just, it never didn't make sense to me as a child. And I remember my dad just being really, really harsh with me about that. Um, and I was, you know, little, so I'll read this line again. I thought I didn't understand it. It being, you know, the world or things, or like, I just thought I didn't understand. You told me I was too naive. I took this heart for granted and I taught my eyes to stay asleep, um, which is what I feel happened. You know, I, I, I tried really hard to believe the things my dad was telling me because, you know, what else do you do as a child? And becoming an adult and realizing that my kind of gut instinct about these things was right. Um, you know, that's a tough thing to, that's a tough thing. That was a tough thing for me to deal with. Um, <clears throat> then the second line, now I've got a whole lot to show you and you've got, a, got quite a lot to see. But the truth's never been enough and it was never going to be. Um, there's a lot in there for me. Um, you know, just to connect it, that first line says, I taught my eyes to stay asleep, but now I have things to show you. I understand things um, and I feel very um, whole in like some of this understanding. I feel confident about it. I don't feel wishy-washy about these things. And I feel like I know things that my dad doesn't understand. Um, and he does have quite a lot to see, but the truth has never been enough for him. And it was never going to be, which is that grief. And that's, you know, that's why I had to go no contact. You guys, I'm really sorry about this. <clears throat> apparently, <laughs> apparently this morning is a rough one. See also seasonal allergies. Um, and then verse two, um, this, the verses are kind of the places where I'm talking to my dad and the pre-chorus is a little bit. And then the choruses are a little bit more, um, more of that kind of, um, homage to the LGBTQ community from, you know, my limited perspective. And of course it is limited. <clears throat> Verse two, well, actually I should tell this to you guys in order. So the pre-chorus, um, <coughs> Every time I record one of these, I ask my private Facebook group if they have questions. And um, Jaron Davis had asked some questions about these chord progressions. So I want to talk about these a little bit. Um, <clears throat> this chord progression is not that meaningful to me. I just wanted to kind of connect. I Basically, my goal, um, since the verses and the choruses have the same chord progression, 
I wanted to make sure that the pre-chorus felt um, different enough that when the chorus came back, this progression would feel fresh again, especially because it is non-diatonic, the the verse and, and chorus progression, and it is so, um, there's so much A-flat major in it. So um, all of the chords in the pre-chorus are minor, where all of the chords in the verses and the choruses are major. And in terms of which chords they are, I just kind of tried to follow my ears for what made sense. Um, so the pre-chorus, the first pre-chorus says, been feeling a pull you taught me to ignore a pull P U L L. Like I've been feeling a pull you taught me to ignore. And that's just a simple line, but it really feels big to me. (laughs) Like, um, having been taught as a child to ignore your own instincts, your own, I mean, to me, a pull, a, a pull to love others. That is a devastating thing. And I, I keep using that word and I'm aware of it. There's just not a better word. There's not a better word for the feeling. Um, that is a devastating thing to have been, to have had taken away from you as a child. That feels devastating to me. Um, to have been taught to ignore something so like integral to my soul and my spirit. Um, that makes me so sad. (laughs) It's really sad. Um, you know, to have an, to have a, a trusted adult in your life, um, teach you to ignore, you know, one of the best things about yourself. Maybe that just, that makes me really sad. Been feeling a pull you taught me to ignore, And I've been kneeling at the feet of everything I thought I knew before. And my adulthood has felt that way to me in many ways. Um, You know, feeling like like prostrate at the the feet of um, just, how can I put it into words? It's like, I mean, these lyrics are how I've decided to put it into words. But as I'm kind of talking about it with with you, whoever you are listening. Um, yeah, it's like, it's very humbling, um, to kind of, I don't know, be confronted with all the ways that I was, I have been wrong. Um, and just, you know, trying to, um, undo it, you know, to try to undo it, to undo all those years, that I spent like trying really hard to be like a less open-minded person or something. I don't know. Trying all those years I spent actively trying to close, to close myself and to ignore those instincts. Um, been kneeling at the feet of everything I thought I knew before and how, yeah, I'll also just say having a paradigm shift in your adulthood is also tricky. Um, and that's what this part of this record is about. That is what make it hallowed is about. So I understand, you know, I understand that this is difficult to, you know, to do that kind of, um, paradigm shift, you know, in your adulthood, but it is possible. I have done it. Um, and, and I hope to continue to do it as often as possible throughout my life. Okay. Then the chorus, um, this chorus felt like a gift to me. I, it's one of those things where I feel like it just, I don't, I didn't mean exactly to write this. It felt like it kind of came to me. 
<coughs> it's really simple, but I think it's really beautiful too. The chorus says, but it wasn't what it once seemed to believe the other. Um, do I need to explain that? I think that's pretty clear. We'll get by on a daydream till we bleed in color. Um, I knew that I had this title bleed in color, right? So that, that phrase was there. Um, we'll get by. So, but it wasn't what it once seemed to me and maybe people like me to believe the other. And then the we, I think is me and anyone like me and anyone who is the other. Um, and I'm specifically imagining my LGBT brothers, sisters, and thems in, in this song, you know, I'm picturing us like in a parade, you know, together, like walking together, marching together, arm in arm, dancing together. This is the, this is the image that I have in my mind while I'm writing this. We will get by on a daydream, on this hope, on this vision, um, till we bleed in color. And this idea of bleed in color, it changes kind of throughout the song. And I, and I'm okay with that. I, you know, I don't, I wouldn't go so far as to say that as I, that I did it on purpose, but I, I purposefully kind of let it, let it change. So I, I can't decide whether bleeding color is a positive or a negative. <laughs> like that's the thing that I'm not sure about in this piece. And, and I think it's because I'm not sure about it as a person. Um, you know, bleed, blood being, you know, this symbol of humanity, this symbol of life. Color, I think is obvious. If we're bleeding in color, I think the symbolism there is that the the inner the inner parts of ourselves, you know, our our blood, our souls are vibrant and colorful and varied and that that is a beautiful thing in and of itself. Um so to have, you know, colors inside, I think that's clearly beautiful. And if you have colors inside then, you know, it makes sense that if you bleed you bleed in color. On the other hand, to bleed is not a positive. You know, bleeding is pain. Bleeding implies a, a, um, a harm, a wound. Um, and I think a lot about the ways in which others of all sorts, you know, people who are othered in our cultures, um, are have to like the way that it's been up until now, at least from what I can see is that in order for groups who are othered to be humanized in the culture, they have to show the rest of us how they're hurting. They have to bleed. Um, and to show, to show the rest of us that, 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 that there's humanity there. And I, I don't want that to continue to have to have to have to be what happens. So, you know, again, this bleeding color is like, it's a bit, I'm not sure. It's like, it's, it implies a positive and it implies a negative at the same time. And, and that's just where that's as far as I, that's as far as I am as a person. And so that's as far as this song goes. So we'll get by on a daydream till we bleed in color. I think in this, in this line, 
that maybe means until all of us know that we bleed in color, until all of us know that we are equally colorful. But again, I'm not really sure. And it's ambiguous. Again, maybe not so much on purpose as just out of necessity, like, because I just don't really know. But it wasn't what it once seemed to believe the other. We'll get by on a daydream till we bleed in color. Then, okay, Jaren had asked how I wrote this next line, which is such a laughably cruel thing like death in summer. Um, I'm really proud of this line. And again, it just feels like a gift. Here's how I did it, Jaren. And you're, this is not going to feel magical to you, I think. Um, but I was trying to think of rhymes, right? So I knew I needed to rhyme with the word color. So I made a huge list of rhymes and slant rhymes. Like I probably still have it in a, in like a notebook or a word document somewhere. Maybe I'll try to find it for you if I, if I think of it, or maybe you can remind me if it exists, I would be happy to share it with you. But I made, I made a list of, of rhymes and slant rhymes for the word color. And summer was one of those. And then I just wrote a bunch of phrases. Like I tried to imagine, you know, if this is the word that's going to rhyme, what would need to happen before that in order for order for this sentence to make sense. So I wrote probably, you know, maybe 10 other lines. And then when I, when I wrote, um, when I started like troubleshooting this word summer, when I tried, started to think of how I could make summer work. Um, like if I was going to say till we bleed in color, I knew that I needed, you know, like such a laughably cruel thing like death in summer. That's, I needed like 10 syllables before the word summer. So I was playing around with that and and I think, I'm not sure like exactly how I came up with the rest of this line, but I, but it just, it, once I thought of the word summer as a rhyme, um, the rest of this kind of, kind of came to be, I, I think like, you know, gosh, I don't even know. Cause I really think it was kind of the muse at this point, but, um, it is like, it is a laughably cruel thing. And, um, not that it's something we laugh about, but it's just, it's, it's laughably cruel in the sense that it's ironic that again, like I was just saying, we have to bleed in order to show people that we're human. <laughs> like that is, that's shitty. Like that is ironic in such a ridiculously cruel way. Like we have to lose people. Like we have to lose humans from this earth um, in order to believe that those people were human, like that's just, that's, that's, that's horrifying. Um, and that needs to stop. Um, and yeah, it's just this, this irony that's just so, it's so horrible. And then that, and then that those deaths, the, the deaths of people we lose in hate crimes, in, you know, in, in, in suicides, um, the the idea that those that those deaths and and you know not just deaths but just all kinds of pain all kinds of hurt are often the reason that these movements um gain traction i mean and this also was may of 2020 so you know i was thinking about george floyd too you know like you know can't help it <laughs> like this is what's happening in our world at this time and it is just a, a, a cruel and ironic tragedy that 
that death is the way that we like learn to humanize people like that. Come on humans. We got to do better. Um, and a death in summer, like a death among all this beauty in the midst of this beauty and amidst this life is just, it's unthinkable. Um, and then the last line, they don't see what they won't see till we bleed in color. Um, and yeah, I already explained that line. Okay. Gosh, I have a lot to say about this. I, I didn't, I wasn't planning on this being this long, but you know, whatever radical acceptance. Um, okay. So that gets us up through course one, then back into the verse. Um, and again, I'm, I'm talking to my dad and I think, you know, everyone in the world who maybe is a, a type of my dad, are you beginning to understand it? Um, this is hard for me to talk about you guys. Like, I think I'm going to cry a little bit. Um, you know, I think at this time, so I had been no contact with my dad for like a month at this point when I was writing this. And I was wondering a lot, like just what that meant to him. Like if he was having any thoughts, like, you know, maybe for the first, like I wondered, you know, in retrospect now, like two years later, I have different thoughts about this. But at that point, I wondered if me kind of having to go no contact would like would have an effect on him that would have him have some new thoughts. Um, you know, at that point, I think that's optimistic of me. Um, I don't, I don't think he's capable of it, you know, and I thought that before I went no contact, which is why I did it. I didn't feel hopeful about it anymore, but just having this little flicker of like, I just wonder, like, I wonder if he can understand it. And then the you, so from my perspective, the you is my dad, but you know, for anyone who's listening that you can be whoever it is for you, are you beginning to understand it? everything we have to grieve. And it is like, I feel devastated by these things. Um, once again, there's just not a better word. Um, and by these things, I mean, all of it, all of these topics I've been talking about so far, we, as a, as a, as a globe, as a species, we have so fucking much to grieve. Um, there has been so much pain in our history. And, um, I think we, we, we need to be doing a little more active grieving, in my humble opinion. Um, are you beginning to understand it? Everything we have to grieve, you've taken so much for granted. You took it like a noble thief. Um, this also feels like a line that just came to me, but, you know... Um, my dad and I have to imagine other people, you know, whoever you as the listener, whoever these pe these persons are in, in your life, <clears throat> it is so often done with self-righteousness and this kind of noble sort of a haughtiness um, that is baffling to me. It baffles me. I just, I'm bewildered by it. Um, are you beginning to understand it? Everything we have to grieve. You've taken so much for granted. You took it like a noble thief. What's it going to take to show you what could ever make you see your mind's never been enough and it was never going to be. 
Um, I don't know that I have more to say about that. I hope it's, I hope it's obvious. I guess maybe the only thing I will say is I'm really pleased with the kind of parallel structure between verse one and verse two. Um, verse one, I thought I didn't understand it. You told me I was too naive. Verse two, are you beginning to understand it? Everything we have to grieve. Um, I like that verse one and verse two rhyme with each other too. That just like feels fun for me. Then line two of verse one, I took this heart for granted. I taught my eyes to stay asleep. Verse two, you've taken so much for granted. You took it like a noble thief. Verse one, now I've got a whole lot to show you. You've got quite a lot to see. Verse two, what's it going to take to show you? What could ever make you see? Verse one, but the truth's never been enough and it was never going to be. Verse two, your mind's never been enough and it was never going to be. Um, <clears throat> then pre-chorus two, been waiting a lifetime to find the time of day. And to me, this one means I have been waiting a lifetime for my dad and my mom to find, to, to have just to find fucking time to see me, to love me, to listen to me. And I can't even begin to imagine what it feels like to globally marginalized groups to feel the entire weight of the world not having, not giving you the time of day. It's just, it's unthinkable. I, I know what this devastation feels like to me as an individual in this microcosm of my family. And I cannot imagine, I mean, I understand a little bit as a woman, but I do think that's different, especially as a white woman. I don't know that, I don't know that this feeling applies in that way to me. Maybe other women would disagree. Um, but yeah, for just the world to be taking so long to fucking listen to you. I just, I have empathy for that. I just, I can't understand it, but I can only imagine that it is like, it is unthinkable. Um, been waiting a lifetime to find the time of day, been building a masterpiece, trying to make it hard for you to stay away. And that one feels real, really, really personal to me. Um, I have been trying to be good <laughs> my whole life. I've been trying to be a good girl. I've been trying to be a good Mormon. I've been trying to be a good artist. I've been trying to be beautiful and creative and kind and trying so hard to live these values hoping that my parents would be able to look at me and see a good person and to see a lovely person and a person that um, is a gift to have in their lives instead of seeing me as a person who is a challenge to them and a person who is the most difficult person in their lives. And again, I just, I just am, I just know <laughs> that my, that members of the LGBTQ community must feel this way to such a higher degree than anything I have ever felt. Um, and yeah, I've been building this masterpiece, trying to make it hard for my loved ones to stay away from me. Um, and you know, unfortunately they choose to stay away. Um, <clears throat> you know, largely in like there are individuals who don't, but you know, as a, as a whole, that's what it sure what it feels like to me. Um, and again, there's this parallel between pre-chorus one and two, which I, I wanted to do in this song. Verse one, been feeling a pull you taught me to ignore. 
verse pre-chorus two, been waiting a lifetime to find the time of day. You know, it just, they, they kind of have this, um, they kind of build on each other, these pre-choruses. Okay. Then, um, in chorus two, I changed the words a little bit and said, uh, you don't see what you won't see instead of they don't see what they won't see. Um, I don't know, just felt right to kind of deepen that a little bit. Okay, then going into the bridge, once again, um, these chords, I didn't think too hard about the progression. I just wanted it to feel like it was going somewhere new. And, you know, I'm a sucker for an ascending root line. So if you listen, if you listen for that in, in my, you know, now three albums, you'll hear it a lot. I, I have to really, I have to really stop myself from doing this too much. Um, but the chord progression is a bar of F minor and then two beats of G minor and two beats of A flat major. So it's F G A flat, you know, kind of this ascending line, um, <clears throat> with kind of a different harmonic rhythm, um, with kind of like an offbeat emphasis in there. Um, then this bridge is a little bit more kind of kind of playing with this idea of, you know, that in order for people to see, you know, marginalized groups as human, um, those groups have to bleed. And sometimes that bleeding is literal and sometimes that bleeding is creative. You know, you think about the ways that like I was just listening to um Malcolm Gladwell's podcast talking about um, Will and Grace and the way in which like the show Will and Grace like really moved the needle for gay rights, um, you know, and, and it's like this with art, you know, you can think of of movies um, that have really changed the way that kind of, well, I don't know, maybe not really changed, but moved the needle maybe in the way that we think about race, you know, as Americans anyway, I, I don't, I don't know enough about these topics globally to speak about them, but, um, <clears throat> you know, just thinking about the way in which, um, artists, uh, do this labor for us and like, great. Like it's, it's good that, that art can change people, but also like, I would love to live in a world where that wasn't a necessary precursor and neither is literal pain and blood and death um <clears throat> so the bridge the bridge is like i think i'm angry <laughs> this bridge um wash down pain dressed and polished like drink it down like just gulp it down wash down pain dressed and polish with joy in a bottle swallow a whole soul in paperback like it feels like that sometimes doesn't it like that we just consume pain as entertainment, um, you know, and feel proud of that. <laughs> like, as in, you know, oh, have you seen this documentary yet? It's really like, like, we sometimes get like proud of the ways in which we feel like we are like, I mean, I know this word is loaded now, but I can't think of a better one, but we're like woke for, you know, listening to certain voices and like, fine, you know, whatever, pat on the back. Obviously I'm really into supporting artists, but also like fucking just talk to your children who are gay and your neighbors who are people of color, you know, I don't know. Like it shouldn't have to be packaged in like an Oscar nominated film for you to have empathy. That's what I think. Um, 
wash down paint dressed in polish with a joy in a bottle swallow a whole soul in paperback but listen before your eyes before your ears these are lives these are tears these are people you know whether or not the things that we're consuming are autobiographical or are nonfiction or just fiction that's inspired by life or whether it's just fiction, there are people in the world who are alive, who are really suffering. Um, Like that, you're missing the point if like all you're doing is, you know, reading a book, watching a movie, watching a documentary and feeling some empathy in that, you know, hour, hours. Um, before your eyes, before your ears, these are lives, these are tears. And is it enough to believe the other when you've seen her bleed? Um, and this is the only time that that word bleed happens without in color, you know, um, and gosh, I would hope that if you're moved by something, if you're moved by a documentary, if you're moved by a film, if you're moved by a book, if you're moved by this, um, you know, Maybe next time, just listen to the person who's next to you. Just, just, just extend or don't even make that person have to tell you. Just trust that anyone you meet is human. Everyone you meet is human. Some humans are um, too dangerous to live in society. Um, but even those humans are humans, you know, <laughs> like everyone is human. So just, ex- just suspend that disbelief and just just start with the default premise that everyone has colors and that everyone is human. Um, is it enough to believe? Is it enough? Is it fucking enough <laughs> to believe and to listen to another person when you've seen their pain? <clears throat> then pre-chorus three, a lifetime you wanted to ignore. Is it enough to offer up this masterpiece you threw away before And I feel like there's a lot of grief in this line, but also some resilience. And I do think the LGBTQ community is a beautiful example of this, um, of just remaining so fucking beautiful, so goddamn beautiful, no matter what. (laughs) Just, I mean, the like pride culture is such a triumph, um, like, it remains, it's so resilient. It's so beautiful. And, and it, it like, it like shouldn't have to be. And anyone would understand if it like got tired and got a little dull and got a little, um, deflated, but it doesn't. And I think that's just, it's such an amazing symbol. I'm inspired by it all the time. Um, and like, is it enough we will continue to offer up this masterpiece even though you threw it away and you threw us away um and again it's this kind of like ambivalence about this idea of bleeding and color like i mean god we're just gonna keep fucking doing it we're just gonna keep being colorful and being human whether or not you listen whether or not you receive this masterpiece and again the masterpiece is just our lives. We don't need more. That's the constraint or that's the premise of this make it hallowed. We don't need, we don't need more. We just need 
we just need to be, we're just human. It's enough. It's enough. Um, and then the lyrics are different in this last chorus, but it wasn't what it once seemed or because it wasn't what it once seemed to believe the other. We're building a new dream where we can bleed in color, like with or without you, we're fucking going, we're doing what we can, you know, and it's such a beautifully pure thing like rain in summer. We'll be what we don't see till we bleed in color. And maybe that we is all of us globally. Sheesh. That got heavy. Sorry, everybody. I mean, but it feels heavy to me. Okay, let's see. Let me answer these remaining questions. Let me make sure I got all of Jaren's questions. Oops, I had it all pulled up. And then <clears throat> let me navigate to it again. My phone kind of went away. <clears throat> um, I want to talk a little bit about the video too, um, and the production. So with this particular song, um, all I knew is that I wanted it to feel so joyful. So when I was talking to Jed about it, um, I gave him some reference tracks and I taught, I, we had the idea of maybe using like an Mbira, um, which is for those who don't know, it's one of those, um, gosh, I'm forgetting where it's from. I want to say Ghana, like I want to say that part of Africa, but the truth is that I don't know. It might be like Zimbabwe. I really just, I should know. I have known this in the past in grad school when I took an ethnomusicology class. Anyway, Mbira is that thumb piano. I'm sure you've seen it. Like you hold it in your hands and you play it with your thumbs and it has these like metal keys. Um, <clears throat> And I just think it's like the happiest instrument. It's so beautiful. It's so like joyful. It just like has this real feeling. And um, I don't, I don't think Jed ended up using it or maybe he used like a, a patch, um, like a synthesized version of it. Um, I, I, my ears aren't, I can't, I can't tell specifically enough, but, um, but that was kind of my intention of like the flavor. And then I wanted to have lots of kind of like, you know, joyful, um, sort of percussion elements, just lots of like very, very colorful, actual timbres. And then the other thing that I was sure about was that I wanted like bass, um, doing like real bass, doing some cool things. So my great friend, um, David Baker played bass on this track and, um, you listen with headphones cause you really can't hear it. If you're, if you're not listening with headphones, like our, our phone speakers just don't do bass well enough. Um, but listen and especially toward the end, like there's, you know, David playing some great stuff down there in the bass, just underneath it all. Like again, having all of this color, like those kind of symbols are there. Um, <clears throat> Okay, Jaren, my dear. Okay, I think I've probably already answered some of this. Okay, so Jaren is asking a question about the music video. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, he asked about the chord progression. We talked about that. We talked about the metaphors of he wanted to know about a laughably cruel thing like Death and Summer. We talked about that. Noble Thief. We talked about that already. Um <clears throat> Okay, Jaren, the instrument's stopping in the last chorus. So Jaren asked about having everything um, kind of stop uh, when I say such a beautifully pure thing. And like, I got to give this one to Jed because I'll tell you what, Jed put this in the song and I didn't like it. And I asked him to take it out. And then he was like, Emily, I can't. It's just the right choice. Um, so Jaren, you should you should send Jed a message on Instagram and let him know that he was right. 
I'll tell him too. Um, and in retrospect, I also think it's great. It just, I wasn't sure about it. Um, okay. Jaren asked, um, if I could speak to my own personal inspiration for this song and what it means to me with respect to my LGBTQ plus friends. And I, I think I've done that. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. I think Jaren's remaining questions are, um, just about the video. So, <clears throat> Yes. I've talked about this as a series before, but, um, my incredible friend, Ryan, um, I approached him about helping me make some music videos for this. And for many reasons, not the least of which is that I had braces during the summer that we were filming. I wanted to make the videos kind of abstract. They're not typical music videos with lip syncing. Again, I had braces in all of those videos, just my little dirty secret. Um, <clears throat> but, um, yeah, so we wanted to be kind of playful and abstract. And when I met with Ryan, I told him that I wanted this section of the videos, this kind of make it hallowed section to feel pink because that color like feels symbolic of these kinds of things to me personally. Um, listen to the episode where I talk about Sweet Dream if you want to hear more about that. Um <clears throat> So we had the idea for Bleeding Color to play with paints. Um, we used acrylic paints. They're easy to wash off. They don't stick to skin. They're not oil-based. Um, so we used some acrylic paint um, to kind of look like blood and tears in the music video. Um, and we chose a color palette that, you know, matched kind of the rest of what we were doing. It's like pink and gold and like a beautiful kind of like um, burgundy color. Uh, I think we just used those three colors. Um, and we put some of it on my face and we put a lot of it on my arm and on my hand and filmed that. Um, and then the, um, the pink like aura, that's all Ryan. Ryan just did that. And I have to say like this day, what this day that I went to go talk with Ryan, we were sitting in his little studio in his little, um, yeah, studio looking at his um, monitors and we were pulling up Pinterest and just, you know, handling some things and uh, just like, you know, brainstorming, like trying to build our vision. And uh, Ryan, uh, I asked him to like type in like, so he was had some search terms that he had put into Pinterest that were like film specific, like lens specific, like some technical things that I don't remember. And then I was like, Ryan put the word pink in there too, in the search terms. So he also put in the word pink and then all the images that all the images came up and like, I went like at the exact same time I was like, Ooh, and Ryan was like, Ugh. and so I just have to say like Ryan does not have the same predisposition toward pink as I do. And it feels like such love and tenderness and care to me that he put that pink aura on even though like I know that's not his go-to but that was for me and I take it and like I receive it and he just like did that in post we never talked about that like that was just that was his idea and it really feels like such care to me so thanks Ryan that that feels like that feels like a like a tiny little love note from um from you to me and I and I I receive it um Oh my gosh. Okay. I really like, I am going through a, like, can I just tell you guys, if you're still listening here, you're a person who is cool, I think. And can I just tell you, <clears throat> I'm experiencing grief about this record, like ending, like it's, it's having an effect on me. Um, and so, you know, I don't know. I'm not, I've been thinking a lot about, 
kind of how to handle the next couple months, like finishing this release and then sort of what I think might come next. And I'm feeling sensitive. I'm feeling lots of things. Um, but I will say now the next song that's coming in this record. Um, I think I'm not going to tell you the title right now. If you look hard enough on the internet, you can probably find it, but, um, it's my favorite song on the record. And it is the, I think it is like the official kind of main thesis of the record. And then the last part has some new, like the make it wide section, um, has a bit of a different purpose. Um, but the, the last part of make it hallowed is, is the part that feels bravest and most important to me. Um, and I'm, and also I really like the song. I think it's a great song. It's maybe the best thing I've ever written. So I'm really excited for that. Please stay tuned. Um, if any of this has resonated with you, please reach out and tell me, cause I'm, I'm like, I'm feeling a little exposed here, <laughs> feeling a little vulnerable. Um, but I would love to hear from you. Um, and yeah, once again, if you're a person who's still here listening to me at this exact moment, I love you period. The end. No caveats necessary. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here. And I'm excited to finish the rest of this hallowed wide adventure with you. Okay. Love you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our theme song is As You Are from My Album Masks with artwork and merch designs by Sarah Keel. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, you can reach me through my website, emilymerrellmusic.com. That's E-M-I-L-Y-M-E-R-R-E-L-L music.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.